Well, we want to welcome you to Reston Bible Church today. As we get started, kind of with our sermon segment, I want to let you know that when the world deals us a difficult hand, we have to respond. And the content of today's discussion uh, is going to be rather challenging. And it needs to be, considering some of the things that are taking place in our world right now. When it comes to children, and we'll let you know if you have a small child, probably elementary age, the content may not be appropriate for them this morning. Junior high age, it's kind of up to you. I'm thinking that it is appropriate because of what they're facing today, uh, but it may facilitate some conversations that you may not quite be ready to have, but you might need to have. So I'm going to pray, and if that's you and you feel the need to step out, or if you're online and you need to kind of occupy your children with something else, uh, now would be the time to do that as I get ready to pray. And then we're going to jump into a video that is going to put it right on out there, right out, right out of the gate. And uh, so let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us and that we are who you say that we are. Lord Jesus, we have thoughts about who we are. We have confusion about who we are. More than ever than before in our world, people are confused about who they are. People feel things about who they are that aren't in alignment with what you say. And God, we need to go with what you say, not how we feel, not what we think, not what the world tells us about who we are. Today, we are going to seek, Lord, to set our minds on the things above, not on the things of the earth. We're going to try to set aside what the world is telling us, and we're going to focus on what you tell us. And today, we're going to talk to a man who has become a very good friend who has had a, a difficult journey in many ways because he responded to what the world was saying to him about who he was. And Father, you redeemed him. You changed him. And now he has dedicated his life to speaking into these issues of today with your power and your strength. He has set aside the pain. He has set aside the poor decisions. He, he lives life with no regret because you have redeemed him for such a time as this. And I pray as we talk with him now that you would educate us, that you would encourage us, that you would give us the power that we need. And Father, if there are those among us or those among us who know others who are battling with the things that we're going to talk about today, God, that you would insert yourself into those situations with great power and great strength. For the sake of your kingdom, we pray in your name. Amen. Hi, I'm Walt Heyer. I started my transgender journey when I was four years old. I was being cross-dressed by my grandmother, and as a result of that, I struggled with my identity all the way through my life, and I eventually underwent gender reassignment surgery, lived eight years as Laura Jensen, until I found the Lord Jesus Christ, who redeemed and restored my life. I started sexchangeregret.com because I really wanted to find out if I was the only one that had regret. We had 350,000 people come to the website in 12 months, and I knew then that this was huge. Most of the people, regret doesn't occur until five to 15 years after. So we're looking at the people's lives early on, two and three and four years after they had the surgery and report success. But we don't talk about these individuals 20 years later that wants to commit suicide. There'd probably be many more of them coming out like I am, except they've committed suicide. They died. 
The Lord wants the transgender community in the church. The Lord wants them to hear the truth, that something happened to them that was horrible. But the only way to really escape pain in your life is turn it over to Jesus Christ so that the pain goes away. You know, it's never too late to be redeemed and restored by Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that's where we're going to begin, but that's where we're also going to end today. It's going to take us a few minutes to get there, yeah. and I want to welcome, ask you to welcome Walt Heyer to the stage today. Thank you. Thank you. And I also want to introduce to you uh, his better half. Uh, I'm sorry, Walt, but it's true. So I'm going to ask Casey to stand up. Walt and Casey have been married for 25 years. Let me, let me, let me just tell you, that is redemption and restoration right there. <laughs> yes, sir. My yes, smoking hot trophy wife. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that one. There we go. <laughs> you know, Walt has a very, very long story. We're going to try to encapsulate it in 40 minutes. We're going to try to land the plane about 5 Good to luck. 12. Okay, yeah. you know, I know that. I know you. That's why I said that. So if I go like this, that's sign language for we got to land the plane, bro. So yeah. we got to move it along here. All right. So Walt's story, again, briefly in the clip, you heard the beginning. And Walt, I really want you to share with our, our people, you know, that it started with the cross-dressing, then there was some other abuse issues yeah. and so forth. I, I want to take that kind of childhood period yeah. and ask you to take a few minutes and kind of unpack that for yeah. us. And thank you for letting me come and share with all these wonderful people here this morning. It's just an honor and a pleasure to be Absolutely. here to, to do this. So, yeah, you know, one of the things that, that I really try to get across is here I am, I'm 81 years old. I'll be 82 in October. And, and I'm still talking about something that happened when I was four years old. So if, if, we can, if we can together, all of us today, kind of understand that when you saw that little picture of the boy in the helmet, he was a cute little kid, you know, but grandma decided that, you know, I started cross-dressing at grandma's house and grandma decided she'd make me a purple dress and put me in the purple dress and tell me how cute I was. Mm. But what none of us know today, I guarantee you, nobody knows today what the consequences are going to be when we put a young boy in a dress. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen? Grandma didn't know. I didn't know. We all seemed like it was a fun little game and benign and nothing was going to be harmful. Well, Grandma put me in that dress, affirmed me, and this, this was a secret. My, she said, don't tell your parents. This is a secret. Now, we all know that if you're keeping a secret, there's something wrong. Mm. We should understand that going in. But I didn't know. I mean, what's a four-year-old kid know? 1944, long time ago. Keep a secret. And so grandma made me the dress. I'm wearing the dress. She's telling me how cute I am. She made it perfectly for me. And it was absolutely immaculate. She was very good at making dresses. And so she did this for two and a half years as I was, she would babysit me on the weekends when my mom and dad would go fishing. And then this dress thing become, it just became so powerful in my mind like what's wrong with Walt is all I could think about how come she wasn't affirming and encouraging Walt why wasn't she buying Walt blue jeans or cowboy boots you know what what why was this different what was wrong with Walt is all I could think about and and I realized today that because of that at the time she's affirming me as a girl she's actually causing me to doubt who I was as a boy mm-hmm that's child abuse. Mm -hmm. 
I didn't realize it then, and many of us don't know it today, but so I, I got so accustomed to that dress after wearing it for two and a half years, I snuck it home in a brown paper bag. I didn't let her know. I put it in a bag, put it in Dad's car when he picked me up and went home, put it in the bottom dresser drawer in my bedroom, and I thought, well, I'm going to wear that dress so I can get that feeling, you know, that feeling and remember her telling me how cute I was because that was the only way that I apparently was acceptable or could be affirmed or could be okay with Grandma was to be in a purple dress. And so my mom found the dress. Mm. And so mom confronted me one night at the dinner table. She said, where'd the dress come from? I said, well, Grandma. And of course, my dad, can you imagine what a guy's thinking about his mother-in-law dressing up his son in a dress? Dad was not happy. I mean, there was an explosion. And quite frankly, all hell broke loose. They were fighting, slamming doors. Things were going on. And you know what? I thought it was my fault because I broke the secret. See, I was supposed to keep a secret. Mm. So now the purple dress caused me to want to bring it home and then broke the secret. Now I'm causing mom and dad to fight. That's my fault. Mm -hmm. I can't go back to grandma's house. That's my fault because my dad won't let me go back over there because it wasn't safe. And so my dad, in his frustration, now I'm six, six and a half, seven years old, he, he doesn't know what to do. There's no terms. There's no words back in the 40s for this. It was just a boy being cross-dressed. And so what he did was, anytime I did anything wrong, I mean, he was scared to death of what, it, what was happening. And so he took up to disciplining me with a hardwood floor plank. And I, I realized, in looking back, that he saw it kind of like a blacksmith looks at a piece of Iron, you know, you put it in the fire and then you pound on it to shape it the way. He was trying to shape me with a hardwood floor plank into a man. He didn't want me to be that female in that purple dress. I understand that. But he didn't know how to do it. Mm. And I didn't know what to do. And then that was a consequence, wasn't it? We don't talk about the consequences. We don't ever hear anybody on television or these shows talking about the consequences of what happens when we put a boy in a dress or tell somebody they can change her. There's, that word is kind of absent, isn't it? Mm. And so the consequence is there was emotional, psychological abuse and then physical abuse by my dad because of a purple dress. Well, that wasn't the end of it, was it? No, because my dad's adopted brother, Uncle Fred, decided because I was wearing a purple dress that I was fair game to be molested. Molested. And he began to tease me and pull down my pants and taunt me and molest me and touch me in ways that a man shouldn't be touched. Hmm. And so we now have the consequences of the purple dress causing emotional and psychological harm. Now it's sexual harm. It's physical harm. It's destructive. I was not... I wasn't aware of the fact that what was going on, I was becoming a person who did not like who I was. Mm. Well, then in your teenage years, you said you started, as you processed all of this, internally, it started internally. Yes. External later, but internally you started to kind of identify yourself differently. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, because when, as I got into my teens with all this confusion and, and not knowing really what was happening as a result of the purple dress, the physical abuse, sexual abuse, and all those things I couldn't deal with. 
I began at 13 years old identifying as Crystal West silently. I wasn't cross-dressing or anything. I just had Crystal West in this purple dress lived in my head. It rented space in my head, telling me there was something wrong with me as a boy. There's something wrong with me. I didn't know what it was. And so that carried out throughout my life. I was in high school, and I, I had girlfriends. I wasn't homosexual. I didn't have same-sex attraction. I even had a girlfriend in high school. Her name was Lola Joy Phipps. <laughs> and she was hot. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had all this going on, but there was this, this confusion, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I played on B football, and, and I ran on track. I was actually very good in track. And because I'm a little guy, but I was swift. And so, you know, so there's all this mixture of things going on in my life with right. the confusion of the purple dress, the sexual abuse, physical abuse, but I didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. You grew through that time. Yeah. Now you're an adult. Yeah. And in the midst of all of this, you went on to get married. You yeah. had two children. Yeah. Very, very successful from a worldly business perspective. Kind of walk us through that kind of season yeah well i you know i decided that i i i'm a, i feel like i'm in deep within me is this desire to always overcome anything you know this great recovery thing and so i decided to go to school and i started working at an aerospace place uh in glendale california uh, called Laborscope, and they were working on the polaris missile and i started working there and i asked one of the engineers there i said how do i get to become a draftsman because that was kind of a big deal because then you could make a dollar 25 an hour i think it was it was big money <laughs> and so uh i i went to school and i got my certificate and this my boss at that time his name was hardtack and he put me on the tape the drafting table and i started my journey which over a period of several years i became an associate design engineer on the apollo space mission working on the area of cryogenics making cryogenic specifications for uh, connectors for NASA. Wow. And then... So you're a dumb guy, basically, yeah. too. Uh. <laughs> well, I wasn't all that smart, I guess, but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have made so many mistakes if I was so smart. Why'd I go and do something so stupid would be a good question. But uh, So I went on from there and went into the automobile industry, and um, I worked uh, at Honda, and I was one of the three people who actually helped develop the Acura division for American Honda Motor Company. Mm. But in the midst of all that, you're married, enormously successful from yep. a business perspective, all this stuff still churning inside. Yeah. Right? And then you made a pretty significant turn. Yeah. This is, this is the, the real issue for all of us. The takeaway is that when things happen early in life, mm. they don't go away. That's right. They don't go away until you provide effective treatment for those issues. Sexual abuse is a crime, by the way. Sexual abuse causes irreparable harm that lasts a lifetime, even when you heal from it. It's you, a crime. You called them ACEs. Explain that. We, yeah. We'll get to that in just a few minutes, but explain right now what that is and why... Why what you just said is true. Yeah. There's, this has been studied by Kaiser Permanente and other places. It's called adverse childhood experience. That's a term for it. It's called ACEs. And when people under the age of 18 suffer emotional, like cross-dressing, 
uh, putting people through these processes and whether it's physical abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, any kind of issue that falls in this classification as ACEs. It's called tra a traumatic event. And traumatic events, listen to this, in the, in the scope of the studies, they found out that children who suffer these traumatic events, which I did, your, their brain is changed and altered, listen carefully, at the level of where their identity is formed. Hmm. This is why they come back and say, I was born that way. They weren't born that way. They suffered from an adverse childhood experience. I'm mm. working with people today. Now, when we focus on treating the trauma, they no longer want to identify in a different gender. Mm. Okay, so going back, basically, if I, if I don't deal with this pain, these ACEs, these adverse childhood experiences, and I bury them, essentially, I bury them alive because right. they come back. They're, they're going to come that's back a, later. That's a great term for it. Yes, yeah. buried them alive. And so what, what I, because I, I buried them alive, I started using alcohol and cocaine to try to keep them buried. But I'm successful. I'm working. You know, I've got two parking places. I've got unlimited expense account. I'm a big wig. I'm making big money, right? Mm. But I'm now suffering from what happened really in the first eight or ten years of my life that I hadn't dealt with because I didn't know how. And no, there was nothing out there to tell me. There was no Walt Heyer and a website, Sex Change Regret, to say, the bridge is out, the bridge is out, don't go down this road because mm. that's what this is about. So, so then you went to a, a counselor that helped you make this huge yeah. transition in your life. So talk about that relationship into becoming Laura. We, we hear about these counselors or gender therapists or gender counselors or whatever you want to call them. Well, this guy wrote the standards of care, the original draft in 1979, the standards of care that are in existence today was my therapist. He was the expert, world expert, Dr. Paul Walker. I went to his office in San Francisco on Union Street and he diagnosed me with gender identity disorder or gender dysphoria and he said within the second session that I had, that you need hormone therapy and you need reassignment surgery to resolve those childhood issues. Hmm. Now, it's all a lie. It's not true. Nobody needs hormones and nobody needs surgical operations to resolve sexual abuse, emotional abuse, and physical abuse. That is false. Yeah. People's lives will be destroyed every time they do. So... But I, I didn't know. And so I believed him. Now I'm married. I got two children. The therapist knows this. He knows about my childhood history. He knows all, everything. But he said, you need hormones and surgery. Which is what you did. Which is what I did in April of 1983. I went through the surgery, came out of the surgery, identifying as Laura Jensen, still working at Honda, notified them of my change, Honda promptly put all my things in a cardboard box. They proceeded to march me to the gate and terminated me. And to this day, from 19, October 25th, 1983, I have not been able to actually successfully get back to that level of employment from that mm. day forward. So you lived as Laura for eight years. Yeah. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that season. Yeah, I, I lived as Laura, and, and I'm now realizing with this drugs and alcohol thing that I needed to go to AA meetings. And so I went to my first AA meeting in Pacific Palisades, which is a very rich part of California. And I went to a meeting at a church. 
and I had been homeless in a park, and I had vomit on me in a rabbit fur coat. Believe me, I stunk. I looked terrible. And, you know, if anybody's been in an AA meeting, you know, everybody goes around and hugs and all that. I went in the back door, and everybody went, oh, my God, we have an alien here. And so nobody would get near me. And so these, these two guys came up to me late in the, in the thing and came up to me and said, do you have a place to stay? And, and I had been taken there by a friend that knew the two of them, and so they knew I was going to be there. And I said, no. And they said, well, we're going to take you for a place to stay. They put me in their garage. Hmm. And so that was my beginning, my journey to recovery and restoration uh, and from alcohol and drugs. And today I can report to all of you today that I have over 36 years clean and sober. Amen. Now, during that time, as you were kind of beginning this journey, you're kind of destitute, you know, battling yeah. through all of this. One of the places that you actually went was a church. Yeah. Talk about that first experience and kind of how that played out. Yeah, I had a Christian psychologist I was seeing because I was really trying to get back to, to being with the Lord. I wanted to identify with the Lord. I just didn't know how to do it. I was broken by my, my previous life. So I told my therapist, I want to go to a church. And he said, well, I have a friend that's a pastor. I'll give him a call. I'll let him know that this transgender person's coming to church. And I know he'll welcome you there and it'll be great. And I said, all right. It was not far from where I live. So I went to this church and on Sunday morning, went in, signed in the book as a newcomer. The women surround me because I'm Laura at the time. And so they surrounded me. I sat in the middle of the church with the pastor's wife and other women and listened to the pastor give the message. And I thought, okay, this is going pretty good. Nobody's beat me up yet. And, and so I, got, I went after the church service over and went out. And at the end of the service, I got a donut because they had donuts and coffee. Do you have donuts and coffee here? <laughs> Okay, so anyway, but we're going to get you another donut from the gap. The youth have donuts, so we'll get you a donut. So that church had donuts, and and they were good. Um, But anyway, I went out, I got my donut and coffee, and I thought, this is cool. And I left, got my car, went home, and I'm feeling pretty good. You know, it went well. And so about mid-afternoon, I looked out my front window, and, and I saw the pastor walking down the walkway. And I thought, this guy's coming to welcome me to his church because I'm so cool. That's Laura, right? I'm cool. A lovable little fuzzball. And so he knocked on the door. I opened the door. He stepped in and he looked right at me and he says, we don't want your kind in our church. You know what I did? Actually, don't groan. I laughed. I thought it was hilarious because I got this big smile on my face and I responded right back at him saying, really? Tell me, what kind do you want in your church? Right? Because I know, and all of us here know, that we all struggle. Mine, I wear outside. My brokenness was visible. I couldn't Mm. hide if I was doing something on the internet. Mine was out here in front of you. Mm. And that was the main difference. But I, I realized that that probably wasn't a good church to go to. Good call, good call. Just... You know, I had that much brilliance, right? Can, so, can, can I just interrupt you real quick and just say, you know, RBC, our commitment to all of us here and to our community is that we will never have a person who walks through that front door 
no matter what condition they're in, no matter what brokenness they experience, and they will never, ever hear, we don't want your kind here. Because we believe... Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We believe that we are all broken, and if someone wants to walk through that door and try to begin an understanding of what, who Jesus is and what he means to their life, we're going to facilitate that. We're never going to stand in the way of that. It may be a challenge. We may have some interesting folks. We may have, a, if a man walks through the door dressed like a woman, that's going to be a challenge. Sure. But we're not going to turn them away. We're going to figure out how we can walk with them so that they can understand who Jesus has called them to be, not who the world is calling them to be. Because so, if they're not here, we can't guide them and point them to no. the redemption of Jesus no. Christ. That's why they need to be. They're not going to find it out there. This well, is where it happens. The good news is yeah. you have another pastor who you yeah, know. Yeah, so, I, so go I went into there. recovery house to, to, you know, to restore myself from alcohol and drugs, and I went into a women's recovery house because I'm Laura. So I went into recovery house not far from a church, and I thought... I'm going to, they required you to go to three AA meetings a day, 90 meetings, 90 days. So I, but I wanted to go to church. So I decided that I probably wasn't going to go to the Sunday service right off the top without talking to the pastor first. And so I decided to go on a Wednesday and meet the pastor in his office. And I, I met with him, Jeff Farrar, his brother, Steve Farrar, an author of Point Man and other books. And, and Jeff is a great guy, big guy. And so Jeff in his, in his way, he's a great guy, still a friend of mine today. We still communicate with each other, and we've done a few videos that are online, Jeff and I, from that experience. So the, the, the interesting thing was I told Jeff, I said, Jeff, I'm Laura. I'm, I am a transgender. I used to be Walt. I want to go to church. I want, I want to know about Jesus. Uh, am I okay to be here in the church? You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to try to change me back to Walt? Because I said, you know, I, I really didn't want that. And Jeff said, you know, my job as a pastor is just to love you. Just to love you. But he said, don't be surprised if God doesn't change you. Mm -hmm. And so Jeff, like nobody else, invested in me. Because he told me, he says, you know, I, I can't figure you out. You know, he was like bold. He says, you are a little nuts. You're driving me a little wacko. And, but he says, I'm going to get to know who you are. And so he spent time at breakfast. He took me to lunch. The, the church had me write a prayer letter because I didn't, after I left the recovery home, I didn't have any place to go. So I was sleeping on couches in different places. They, they, the church got me an old beat up old Honda, not like the one I had when I was there, but um, so I, I, I was on the road to recovery and the church really surrounded me and, and was through the prayer letter knew what I needed. And so that was my journey back. And so through this process um, with the church, the church was fantastic. And I still, what's so interesting today, that prayer letter that I wrote starting in 1986, I still write the prayer letter to many of the same people that we're at that church mm. today, except I write it instead of once a week, I write it once a month. Mm. So then you started meeting with a Christian therapist, which yes. is really the, the critical kind of turning point yeah. in some of this. So, so, so talk about yeah. that, because I really want to move into the Jesus piece of this, right, yeah. For our, as we kind of wrap up. Jeff, Jeff really wanted, you know, he wanted to make sure that I was getting the treatment that I hadn't gotten before. And so he had two therapists that he was really familiar with that were in the church. 
And, and one of them gave me his home phone number and said, you, you'll, you'll never have to pay anything. You call me anytime. I'll meet you at my office. I won't meet you in a, uh, any place but the office. But you can have me anytime. You want 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock. It doesn't matter what time. 24-7. And, so, and the other one said, I'll just meet you at a certain time. And so I had these two therapists. I thought it was important to mention that the church was providing good psychotherapy for me, as well as surrounding me with love in the church. And so one of them I decided, because I was in recovery, I got to my fourth step. And if you're familiar with the fourth step, it's sort of a regurgitation of all the harm and hurt and all the things that you're struggling with. And I'd written them down on a yellow line piece of paper. And, and we sat down with the therapist, and I'm going through them line by line, and, and we're praying over them, we're talking about them. And, and it was a way to sort of get rid of them. And, and, and I was admitting my mistakes. I was admitting that I was wrong. I was admitting that I was a sinner at the same time. I wasn't, it wasn't a blame game. It was for me to look at myself and self-reflection and say, you know, you really screwed up. And, and it's my fault. And now it's time for you to take responsibility. And so, but I talked about all that. And so when we were done at that time, and, and he says, okay, we've gone through this. It took two and a half, three hours. And we went outside in the parking lot, and he took a match to those everything I'd written down and put, it, put the match to it, and it started burning. And it started burning, and it caught fire, and it was completely engulfed in flames, that, those yellow line papers. And the, the wind caught the burnt paper, and, and they just disappeared. Mm. And it was, it was like this kind of load that went off of me, you know? It was like I'd written them down, We'd prayed over them. We'd gone through them. Now they're gone. And so he says, okay. He said, now what we need to do now that that's done is go back and pray. And I thought, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Because this guy is one of those people that prays for a couple hours. <laughs> and, and don't judge me. I know you're out there. I'm a 30-second prayer warrior. I know I've got, I know you, I got friends here. You can kind of tell that Walt's a little ADD, right? So like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so I, I somehow agreed to go into this because I thought I'm going to miss dinner. I'm going to miss my favorite TV shows. I'm going <laughs> to miss going to bed. But I decided to go anyway. So I sat down and he starts praying. And he's right across from me. He's praying and he's praying and he's praying. Oh, my gosh, he's still praying. And then all of a sudden, I didn't hear him anymore. It, it went silent. Just like this, it went silent. And I had this, I was looking up and coming down, I could see Jesus coming down. Jesus was coming down, I'm going, he's coming. And then I, he wasn't looking directly at me, he was looking in front of me and I, I looked in front of me and there was a baby there. I looked at the baby and I went, my gosh, that baby's me. He's coming for me. He came down and picked up that baby and turned to me and said, you are now safe with me forever. (laughs) And he disappeared. You see, he came that day, not to redeem me at 50 years old. He came to redeem me from all the emotional and psychological, sexual, physical, every abuse that ever occurred from the time that I was a baby. He cleaned my life up and redeemed me from that day. Mm. 
That's why I'm here today. To tell you about my Jesus. The same Jesus that you have. The most powerful Jesus on earth. Mm. You know, we have people here. Some people here are struggling with these issues. Some people have someone that they really, really love that are struggling with these issues. We know that your story of abuse and so forth, that leads to this kind of thing. We also know that today, in today's environment, we kind of have what, what, what's referred to as this social contagion, Absolutely. right? Where, where it's like an epidemic, especially among our uh, teens and tweens, especially among the girls, uh, certainly some boys, where it just is kind of almost catching like wildfire. I, I want you to address that, but I also want to bring the scriptures into this. Sure. You know, where, because as the song says, we're who he says that we are. Absolutely. Right? So, so talk a little bit about those two pieces. The kind of we've talked about your journey, but then that yeah. kind of that social contagion piece. And then let's jump into the scriptures. Yeah, there, there's there definitely is a group of people who suffered from events, the adverse childhood experiences, the sure. aces, and those people we need to help them. And they're they're actually pretty easy to help because if once they identify what the aces are, then we can point to it and they realize, okay, this is treatable without hormones and surgery. But there's also the group of a social contagion, which comes through our cell phones. It comes through our computers. It comes from books. Sadly, it comes from some of the public schools that are indoctrinating kids. And and now it's become fashionable, or they almost feel uncomfortable if they haven't changed their gender. This is, this is what, to me, quite honestly, is hideous. That that they would say and start indoctrinating our children into the fact that you can change your gender. Let me tell you this, so important for you to know. In the history of mankind, no one has ever changed their biological gender. It doesn't happen. It can't happen. It's not going to happen. But what they're changing is their appearance. This is just an appearance change. The the proper term for this is transvestite. They, that's been the word, but they tried to change and make this whole thing. They love changing names, don't they? They love to reinvent names and try to make them more significant. There's, there's, you can feminize a boy and you can masculinize a girl, but you can't change her gender. Amen. Amen. So what's the scripture? Talk, talk to us. Give us a couple of scriptures that, uh, yeah. I mean, we talked about Romans. Yeah. Romans so, 12 too, because I'm old and I can't remember them off the top of my head. You know, this one, this one for me is the one that's kind of touched me the most. It's the one that I rely on. It, it, it really speaks to this whole thing. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Is it not this whole idea of changing genders a pattern of this world? Amen. So scripture tells us in 12 to don't do it, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that means that what we need to do is learn that you can't do it and understand that it's not biblical to do it and understand that it's not God's will for you to change his beautiful creation. Young boys and young girls are the most precious, beautiful things there are. No one has the right to tamper with them. No one. No hormone therapy, no surgery. Don't touch them. They belong to God. They belong to our families. They don't belong to the government. And you do this so that you can be able to test and approve what God's will is for your life. His good, pleasing, and I love that, perfect will. That's the perfect will. So let me say this. So 
I have a feeling, right? I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable in my skin or, you know, yeah. some of these phrases that are used. Oh, and then someone says, well, you, I don't know, maybe you're transgender, you know, that, that kind of a thing. Yeah. What you're saying is, out of Romans 12 too, is God's word says this. This is who we are. Right. Well, I need to renew my mind with the truth of God's word. I may need to do some explore, exploration to understand, well, why do I feel uncomfortable in my skin? Or what, maybe it's an ace. Maybe it's an adverse childhood experience. Maybe it's a social it's, contagion. Maybe I'm just a teenager and I have hormones and I am just uncomfortable like every teenager is yeah. in their own skin at some point in time, yeah. right? Yeah. Kind of grappling with all of that. But the goal really then is to embrace what God says in his word and renew my mind yeah. with that. I am who I say I am, right? The, the song. See, yeah, once we understand that we were made perfect, we were made perfect. No surgeon, no doctor can change it, but we need to understand, right? What's causing us, what the influence is, what's, who is suggesting to us that there's something wrong with us? It's not God. If we're looking into the eyes of God, we know who we are. Amen. You know, Walt, I want to thank you. I, I, I know that we've all had difficult experiences in life. Um, the magnitude of difficulties that you've experienced and the impact of the choices that you have made, it would be understandable if you just sat kind of in a moping heap looking back on the wreckage of all of that and failed to move forward at all. But you are an example of the redemptive power of Jesus to take all of this pain and to transform it for his use into the future. There's some choices that have been made that can't, you can't go back and remake some of those choices. But you have chosen to move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit and speak powerfully into our world for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we are the recipients and the benefits of the transformative power of Jesus in your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful that you're with us today. Thank, thank you, Walt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.